generation God gives strength in loving arms Scatters the proud of the nations In the thoughts of their hearts God takes the powerful from their thrones And lifts up the lowly God fills the hungry As we continue our series honoring Black History Month, co-hosting with me today is David Dykes, Executive Director of the D.L. Dykes Jr. Foundation, and our featured guest, Daniel Ball, incoming Chief of Staff for Freedom for All Americans with their home office in Washington, D.C. So welcome, David. Thank you. And Daniel. Thanks for having me. Welcome. So uh, Daniel, I want to begin by asking you to tell us about yourself, where you grew up, and what were some of your experiences. Well, um, my name is Daniel Ball, born and raised here in Mississippi by way of Hazelhurst. I'm not sure if y'all heard of that place before. I have, yeah. Right, it's about 30 miles south of Jackson. Um, So, uh, born in Hazelhurst, grew up in Jackson to a single mom. She had four children. I'm the youngest of her kids. My dad, I met him when I was 10. He has six children, so I'm the oldest of his. Oh, wow. Right? Um, My mom has a single mother. She was a nanny for many families, and she was a seamstress. My dad, um, he was an evangelical pastor in the Church of Christ Holiness USA denomination. Oh my. Oh wow. <laughs> um until about maybe five or six years ago, he departed from that um church and he started his own church in Byron, Mississippi. And that was because he wanted to be a part and create uh, an environment in his church that was more inclusive and affirming to LGBTQ people. Mm-hmm. Um he didn't wanna have you know, his decisions dictated by an overarching denomination, so it's more free-flowing and, you know, all of that. But enough about him. Ah, (laughs) Yes, let's talk about you. Right. Um, I grew up here in Jackson. I went to school at Ole Miss, University of Mississippi. I studied business management there. Mm -hmm. I graduated in 2012, moved back here to Jackson. Um, I was an HR manager at the Nissan plant in Canton. Mississippi yes, for about three and a half years. And then I had an opportunity to um, get a job where my purpose met my passion, which is social justice and civil rights. So I um, accepted a job with the Human Rights Campaign. Yes. I was offered that job the day after the Supreme Court ruling of marriage equality. Wow. So to me, that was like a sign, you yeah, know, that, exactly. hey, you're going in the right direction. Yeah. Um, and Rob Hill. Yeah, yeah, Rob. Rob was my state director there. Yeah, we, we've uh, we've actually interviewed Rob before. Nice, nice. Um, so yeah, I was at HRC for about four years, and as of yesterday... I am now the chief of staff for an organization called Freedom for All Americans. And at Freedom for All Americans, <laughs> similar to HRC, um, we are both the C3 and C4 organization. 
we work on a bipartisan effort to secure fully comprehensive non-discrimination ordinances to protect LGBTQ people around the country. Uh, Daniel, your new position with uh, Freedom for All Americans, um, say a little bit more of what I was able to do, uh, find online that, uh, that there are states with no LGBTQ uh, non-discrimination uh, policies at all. Right. And then there are some states with uh, some protections, right. and um, then there are some with full protections. Correct. But m- the majority of the states, what is it, like 28 mm-hmm. states, yeah. have no protections right. for LGBTQ um, individuals. And Mississippi is one of those places, correct? Right. Well, you have many states that um, create statewide laws or legislation the state level saying that, hey, um, we are going to ensure that regardless of what your sexual orientation or gender identity is, you'll not be discriminated against as far as housing, credit, public accommodations, so on and so forth. And you know, the sad reality for places like Mississippi after HB 1523 is that some people can get fired from their jobs, they can be kicked out of their houses, they could be refused vital services that are very important to their livelihood um, just for being uh, gay identifying or bisexual, lesbian or transgender. And that's still present day here in Mississippi. Right. So um, Mississippi never adopted the revisions to the Civil Rights Act of 1964. You know, um, there were amendments added to that saying on top of race, color, sex, religion and national origin, they're gonna add sexual orientation and gender identity to that list to ensure that, and disability, right? To ensure that our most vulnerable communities are not being discriminated against. However, Mississippi was not one of those places that adopted that. So what we've done to counter that is we have to go to different municipalities, city by city, town by town. We have to work with the mayor and their city council elected officials to get non-discrimination ordinances passed. And basically what that does, it it allows legal recourse for those people in those areas who are discriminated against or refuse service. Has that been successful? It's been very successful. Um, Within the past three or four years since HB 1523, Mississippi has been able to secure four fully comprehensive non-discrimination ordinances in the state. Um, So, you know. Well, isn't, um, is it true that, or is, has it been your experience that um, the whatever faith tradition that you might be experiencing, but I know in this country, the Christian tradition, mm-hmm. is that not um, a part of some of the issues right. that are occurring within the LGBTQ community? Right. Right. And when you say that they can refuse, um, mm-hmm. you... Uh, serving you, right? Um, is that is it related to someone's faith and their belief system? Right, it is. And you know, the most complex and difficult and aggravating—oh my god—part <laughs> of that is um, HB fifteen twenty three. Basically, says that you can refuse someone's services um, or 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 um, any type of work based on your religious convictions. And religious interpretation when it comes to biblical text, that's a relative thing. 
you know, how two or three people can read the same thing but get different, you exactly. know, Actually. explanations, yeah. right, or things mm-hmm. from it. Um, so we basically leave that up to individual interpretation. Um, and, you know, like I said, it's very unfortunate because a lot of the, I'll tell you like this, and this is how I explained it to my kid when I got him involved. Okay. If you look across American history since the very beginning, um, every single major social issue we've had in our society has been um, justified or rooted in religious interpretation. Yeah. Um, slavery was justified by biblical texts in the Bible. Um, Jim Crow laws was the oppression of women were um, all of those things, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Segregation was, interracial relationships were. However, it wasn't until our interfaith communities and, and, and our faith leaders took a united front and said, hey, this is not an accurate or true representation of who we are as people of faith. Therefore, you can't, you know, adequately or truly say that these things should be justified or should be law just because you interpret these biblical texts that way. So it wasn't until even during the civil rights era um, with the uh, Poor People's Campaign right with mlk and reverend barber it wasn't until that and super sunday and and more faith leaders and faith communities got involved in these social issues did we see the needle move when it came to equity and equality for black people and for women yes and we now see that same thing today it's just oftentimes the lgbtq community is the target um, of those efforts yeah, that's really interesting. <clears throat> One of the things that our foundation works with is mm-hmm. Christian origins. And yeah. That is to say, what does the history tell us about how the whole thing began? Right. And because scholarship has recognized for some time that the people of history who began the, the whole Christian movement mm-hmm. uh, had something in mind which you don't even see anymore Mm -hmm. in what Christianity has become worldwide. And so all of that original startup kind of idea uh, has been sort of glossed over by how the church has evolved over time. I'm going to tell one short thing. You're talking about slavery. Uh, The justification for slavery Mm -hmm. in, in the Christian world is actually based on uh, misunderstandings about Paul, mm-hmm. Paul the Apostle. Right. And, and, and the reason is, even though book, there are 13 books in the New Testament that, are, that uh, bear his name, he's only responsible for seven. Mm-hmm. And one of the basic reasons is he was dead before these other books even came <laughs> on the scene. Right. But it was a popular idea to take to take someone's famous name and put it on a document to give it more authority. Thing was, what was happening by the end of the second generation in the early Christian movement Mm -hmm. was that that the real values of the original community were being stepped back and stepped back. So Paul can say in one of his, like the 
his book, uh, I'm not saying correctly, Philemon, mm -hmm. which is a story about the slave owner and the slave, uh, he can say you can't. Christians can't own slaves, mm -hmm. very clearly. Yeah. But in uh, some of the later books, like Titus, mm -hmm. Paul can say, "Slaves, be good slaves. Be subject to your to your masters, right. just as you're subject to the Lord." Well, people that want to keep black people in their place, so to speak, right. like to cite that and yeah. feel very righteous about it mm -hmm. because it's in the Bible. Right. Well, you know, it's in the Bible, but it's not what Paul said. <laughs> exactly. And I'm glad you brought that point because I wanted to insert this piece of information. When black people were slaves and brought over here to the United States, there was no Christian faith there. That was something that was adopted once we were brought here sure. to help keep slaves in line mm -hmm. and help them to abide or encourage them to abide by their slave masters and right. not form any type of coalitions or efforts to escape. And even now, you still see black and brown people that are so intertwined into the word of the Bible, this same thing that was used to justify their oppression and their slavery, they're using that sometimes to oppress other Others. people in the world, like LGBTQ people. Exactly. And right. how unfortunate that Paul, it's attributed to Paul, and how unfortunate that people don't even know that Paul never wrote those words right and so it's it's um it's a difficult situation uh -huh. and part of what we do is try to help yeah. people become um more informed right about the history you you mentioned your son yeah. so um i want to get a little bit more into your personal life okay. daniel um i'm First of all, um, how difficult how difficult is it being black and gay and living in Mississippi? And when did you know and how young were you? And then I want you to tell us a little bit about your son. Oh my goodness, okay. <laughs> I'll go back to the very beginning. Um, you know, I grew up in church. Yeah, your dad was a pastor. Well, even before meeting him, I met my dad when I was 10. That's, That's right. That's when he was a pastor, but my mom would keep us in church. We literally lived two houses down from the church. So Bible class, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, choir rehearsal, Sunday service, Sunday night service, Sunday school service. Oh my. So many times throughout the week, right? <laughs> um, and I know that from a very early age, I, church is where I felt most comfortable and safest, yes. right? Since I was there from a very early age, it's like everyone around me were like an extended family. There are people I've grown to love and know and feel safe with. Um, but you know, as I got older and I started to discover more about who I was and more so who I was not, yes. um, and knowing in my mind the rhetoric that came from the pulpit and people at church when they referred to transgender people or gay people or lesbians and, and the type of hatred that was kind of um, encouraged or, you know, kind of used against them. It's like in an instant when I realized who I was and who I loved and who I, you know, who I am today, it's like the place where I felt safest in the world instantly became the most threatening place. 
And it's like at that point, I had to put on a facade because in my mind, it was like, even though I'm at a place of all these people who I've grown to love and know and they know me, if they knew this part of me, would they still love me, Uh right? Would they still accept me? Would they still value me as a person? Or would I initially become a part of a group that they've always kind of isolated and excluded? So for many years in my life, I had to endure the emotional and spiritual hurt and wounds that I got from having to be in an environment that I didn't feel fully included and valued in. And by having that facade, it was like, are these people loving the real me or are they only loving the parts of me that they see are valuable or worthy of loving? But um, even beyond that, you know, um, I grew up in a church, went through that whole situation, met my dad. He was a pastor, right? So in me, it was like, oh, I was always so jealous of my friends because they had their dad. I finally have my dad in my life. But oh, hell, he's a pastor. (laughs) And one of the first (laughs) one of the first sermons I heard him talk about was how you have to be holy and of the cloth to be welcome into God's you know kingdom and all of these things so um it was it was kind of a bittersweet moment for me but i endured it you were 10 i was 10 i knew i knew i was gay from even before i knew what sexuality was i just didn't have the words or the understanding to quite articulate it Mm -hmm. right so um When I came out to my dad, actually I didn't come out to my dad, he went in and kind of pulled me out of the closet. Um, (laughs) That was interesting. So I had a a boyfriend, his name was EJ, he lived two towns over. (laughs) And I don't know if you remember the days of AOL chat, but I was a frequent user, I kind of sneaked the email address. (laughs) (laughs) So we would have to communicate that way because I didn't have cell phones at the time, cell phones weren't, you know, out or big then and that was the only way we could communicate because we didn't live in the same area so after months of email exchanges I was at my dad's house for the weekend and my siblings and I would fight over the computer so he told us to go put the groceries up they just went grocery shopping or something and I was like no one touched the computer I'm on the computer (laughs) I just minimized the window went and helped to put the groceries up well oh no my dad went into his room got on the computer and was like hmm he opened the tab then he proceeded to call all of my siblings into his his room because that's where the computer was including my stepmom he locked the door and he read every single email out loud. Oh, Daniel, Everyone. that's horrifying. This was a Friday night. Were you in the room also? Yes, I oh. was in tears. It was so traumatizing. Oh my God, it was it was one of the most traumatic experiences I've ever had to deal with because, you know, um, we were very expressive and, you know, at that you time and, we felt like, and me and EJ, EJ my friend, yeah. Right. And, it was a difficult thing to endure and my siblings were there and my stepmom was there and after it was over with he had everyone hold hands while they prayed for me that was a friday night 
that Sunday, my dad took it upon himself to baptize me in his church. Not only that, he told the entire congregation that there was some type of sexual demon trying to take over his child and his child's spirit and rip him from the arms of the Lord. And he need all the prayer warriors to come down, put their hands on me and pray it away. It was... And how old are you, Daniel? At this point, I was 15. Oh, that is... 15, yes. Unimaginably traumatic. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, for me, it's like at that point, I started to pull away from Christianity and organized religion because in my mind, my dad was a pastor ordained by the Lord. And I'm thinking him and God are best buddies. Like he's literally on the phone with him on Saturdays, <laughs> getting the word that he should, the words that he should say on Sunday morning in church. So I'm like, okay, if my dad, if my dad hates me this much and has this much spite towards and resentment and disappointment towards me, then Obviously, God does too. Oh, yeah. and, Daniel! And I, there is no place in this in this church or in this space for me because apparently I have a defect or something is wrong with me. Um, so I stopped going to church, and I started to turn towards alternative forms of spiritual healing, non-threatening alternative forms to spiritual healing. Yes. That's when yoga came into play. That's when meditation came into play. That's when I started to read more and experience other forms of spirituality that didn't subject me to that type of emotional and spiritual warfare. It's abuse. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for so long, I kept that wall up because my relationship with God or with Jesus or in the church was based on my relationship with my dad because I felt like evidently he is this ordained, highly regarded person in the spiritual world, right? So it wasn't until I started to take that spiritual journey on my own and I had the opportunity to explore and I had the opportunity to ask questions did I find the right place and space that I fit which isn't in one particular space, but as a person who highly regards interfaith efforts and interfaith works, I can be a part of many different faith communities and take in and appreciate all of the good that it has to offer. And you're active in that interfaith community. Oh yes, very much so. Because even though though I'm not a firm part of organized religion, I am aware enough to acknowledge how high of an influence it has on our society and how big of an influence it has on laws and legislation and social constructs, how people treat one another, how they think. So at any point in time when giving the opportunity to engage or to shed light on or even to share my story, I try to allow myself to be as open, honest, and vulnerable as I possibly can because hearts and minds are changed one person at a time. Yes. And it's not done overnight. It's through the unique art of sharing our stories and our experiences. Because at that time, and those times, that's when we form human connections. And then, you know, once I occupied more spaces, met more people, um, kind of started to blossom, 
and social justice and civil rights and, and spirituality and religion, I realized, hey, being gay and being a person of faith are not mutually exclusive. Right. We can be both. We c- because our, our identities allow us to uniquely be so many things. You, I can be a man, a black man, and a father, and gay, and love the Lord, right? Yeah, and love yeah. my family, yes. and love my friends, mm-hmm. and do good in the world, and, and be do. good in the world, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Now, mind you, even though I think the term in the Bible say everyone falls shor- short of the glory of the Lord, you know, we all make mistakes and we all stumble and fall, but that's, that's a part of the human and life experience. Of course it is. But, you know, my mantra is do good in the world, be good in the world, and it will return to you tenfold. And, and now, right? Oh, sorry. No, go right ahead, Daniel. And, <laughs> right? And, and, and this journey has evidently led me to being a single dad at the age of 30. Well, I got him when I was 25. So I got him when he was 11. He's actually my nephew, and I ended up adopting him because he and his siblings went through a lot of difficult things in their life and landed in foster care. But I took on, I took on the journey and the responsibility of being a single dad to him. And not only is he biracial and he's a boy, but he's also gay. Well, and <laughs> Terrence and you, I mean, um, Daniel, you, um, speaking of Terrence, yeah. um, you you did speak to Terrence before you I came did. to right. uh, to record the podcast. Well, and, yeah. Um, I informed him that I was doing this podcast. He thought it was so great because we are a podcast family. <laughs> we listen to it. So many different kinds of podcasts. Great. And I did get permission to share pieces of his story because being a person who resents and doesn't like other people telling my story for me, Right. I want to make sure that I got permission from him. And you honored him by doing that. Of course. And regardless of age, he is a human being of with, uh, whose dignity mm-hmm. is to be honored and respected. Right. And, you know, before you go into the story about Terrence, mm-hmm. I want to pause for a moment and hearing your story really for the first time, Mm -hmm. I'm now even struck more profoundly at what a wonderful gift um, and how fortunate that God, however that works, you are in Terrence's life and that Terrence could not be more fortunate or blessed to have someone like you to be his father who knows all of the darkness mm-hmm. and uh, the the disregard uh-huh. and the rejection uh-huh. and now you have Terrence in these very formative years uh, to affirm uh, him. So could you tell- do me a favor? Of course. <laughs> if I call his cell phone, could you tell him that on his voicemail? <laughs> I don't think y'all. I don't think he really realizes that. <laughs> well, part of that, part of that deal is because he is adolescent, right? You know, right. adolescents don't usually hear much of anything. They're so busy. Yeah. They got right. a lot of stuff. Right. They got it. I want to add something to what you say. Every life, I think this is true. Mm-hmm. Every person, as a child, gets big lessons from somebody. Yeah, things that stick with them. Yeah. Uh, 
what an amazing gift to teach. And how old is Terrence? He's 16 now. 16 years yes. old. You prepared him for a whole life living in the world mm-hmm. when you honor him yeah. by asking his permission right. to share his story. Right. Man, that's one of those life-teaching mm-hmm. moments. Right. And he'll benefit from that the rest of his life. And you know, I it hasn't always been that way, and I don't want to give the misconception that it has. I've had him in my life, or we've had each other in our, our lives for five years now. And oftentimes I found myself trying to parent the way that I was parented and not realize that that was in some ways distorted because I'm inflicting a lot of the pain, a lot of the imbalance, and a lot of the um, (sighs) boundaries, issues, everything that, that were inflected on me. But even when I was going through all of these difficult things like, you know, situations with my dad and struggling with my sexuality and I had a friend to commit suicide because he was gay and his family was religious and he didn't, you know, he didn't feel like he belonged. And my mother ended up passing away from AIDS related illnesses and I ended up, you know, dealing with all of these things. And I'm like, oh, my God, why am I going through all of these things? Like, what have I done? What purpose? Does this serve? Why do I always find myself with the short end of the stick? And I'm just trying to live and be who I am and and, and walk in my light. But it wasn't until I was faced with inviting Terrence to be a part of my life Mm -hmm. and having to struggle and fight and learn with being a parent and being more understanding and being more present, right? That I realized this is what I went through all of those things for. Yes. Having this young black gay son now, I have an opportunity to be to him everything that I didn't have anyone to be to me. Definitely. And you know, it took bumping my head a lot It took, you know, a lot of frustration. It took a lot of trial and errors. But ultimately, I feel that now we are at a place to where we acknowledge and appreciate each other for our similarities and our differences. He's at a point to where I'm wanting him to be more self-sufficient. So I allow him to make decisions in his own life because... You know, he has to live and learn just like everyone else. And I know as a parent, one thing we want to do is make all decisions for our child so that they are never hurt, they're they're never injured, they never put themselves in danger, they're never in an unfortunate situation. We always want to hold on and protect them, like hold on tight, right? Mm -hmm. However, you know, if if you have a, a a life in your hand, and you hold on to it too tight, you're gonna smother it. Yeah, you crush it. That's right, you crush it, spirit. Right. Yeah. So you have to hold your hand open and loose so they have space and air to breathe. Mm-hmm. But not only that, only when your hand is open can you receive things as well. Exactly. 
So I try my best to live by that every day. I can't say I always do it 100% <laughs> of the time. It's a journey. No, but, you know, right. <laughs> that's kind of, that's the mantra. That's the mindset. That is the um, affirmation I've accepted and adopted into my life so that I can make sure I give him the space to grow and be who he was meant to be and not necessarily who I want him to be. Well, and he's um, one of the most beautiful people oh, I have ever seen. <laughs> um, and I'm pretty confident that his inner person yeah. is as beautiful oh. as his external person. Most days. <laughs> <laughs> when I remember, he is an adolescent. So, Especially yeah. on Fridays when he gets his allowance. He's the most beautiful person. <laughs> but yeah, um, it is, you know, I, I love him. And you know what? Even though he's not biologically my son, mm -hmm. there is no doubt in my mind that he and I were created to be in each other's lives to the capacity that we're in. So often he tells me, oh my God, thank you, you saved me from my foster parent because she was really mean and she made me go to church and she said all these things about me and this and that. And what he doesn't realize is that he saved me in so many ways. Yeah. Like it, before him, I was selfish. I could come and go and do what I want, when I want it, how I want it. I didn't have to know what a budget was or, uh, you know, I could just do whatever. But um, he made me grow in so many different ways, spiritually, emotionally, as a person that I would not have if, if I didn't have the responsibility of of having him in my life well, he he called you out of yourself yeah and he's become the center of my entire universe and now it's like regardless of any decision i make whether it's groceries decision whether it's a financial decision anything i always consider him even this podcast i could have said yeah i'll do the podcast you know just made the decision on my own and shared the whole story but even with the podcast I'm like hmm I know that I'm gonna talk about my life and my experiences and he's a big part of that and there's a parts of our stories that intersect so I'm gonna have to get his blessing and yeah. ask him if it's okay <laughs> if I kind of put all of this out there yes yes yeah because anything we do any decision we make it affects way more it than does, just us because the world is so tied together in so many different we ways. We are. We're all so much a part of one another. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that there are always powers and forces that be that don't want us to know that. Yeah. And uh, because if people collect and understand each other and appreciate each other, right. they can work together. Right. And if they do that, they can identify issues together. Yeah. And if they do that, they can do something about the issues. Right. And you know, oftentimes, based on my research and knowledge of, of being in social justice and civil rights fields and areas, people see religion as doing that, right? Yes. Um, they see religion as a tool that has been used to weaponize, you know, it, it's being weaponized against people to divide and segregate so that they can be controlled. We see a lot of our elected officials that are creating laws that are creating a lot of disenfranchisement that is 
discriminatory in its essence and they're using religion to justify it right um but my mom has always told me this and she's always held true to it she said at any time the person you worship your god if they hate the same people you hate and love the same people you love and despise the same people you despise then you have successfully created him in your own image mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and well, part of right and part Absolutely. of being a part of a community that accepts and that loves people unconditionally regardless of who they are or what trials or tribulations they experience that is the real essence of god you know many people have the misconception that you only can come to our church if you look like us, act like us, talk like, like us, worship the way we worship. But what we don't realize is that many faith spaces, like many temples, were created for the people that were broken, for yes. the people who were not perfect, for the people who were poor, right? For the people who didn't have a place to go sleep or eat or whatever that in its essence was why these sacred places of worship was created but now so many faith communities are excluding those people and you know what happens when that when you do that it becomes more of a cult absolutely yeah that's why in this day and age you see a lot of millennials and younger people leaving organized religion and turning to alternative forms of spiritual healing. That's healing. Right. Period. That is healing and accepting. Yes. Um, we have a good friend who uh, uses this statement or asks this question. Um, when someone asks him, is he Christian, or someone asks him something real personal about his faith, um, he will say, um, what is the nature of your God? Mm-hmm. Am I safe with your am God? Am I safe with your God? Right. What is the nature of your God, and am I safe with your God? And what you've just described <laughs> is you would have to ask yourself, yeah. wait a minute, you want me to come to community, or you you want me to be a part of your community, but am I safe Right. With as who I am, right. as a black gay man yes. in the South? Exactly. Am I, I safe with I your God? I get it. And not only that, it's like, don't tell me who your God is. Show me. Exactly. Yeah. Through how you treat mm-hmm. people, yes. mm-hmm. through your language. Absolutely. You say you value inclusion and diversity. Look at your close group of friends. The people you invite to your house to eat with you, does any of them not look like you? <laughs> right? Yeah. Are they all the same color? Right. The places <laughs> you occupy, the places where your children are. Are you truly living out your faith in how you engage with people outside the church? See, for me, I think church in itself is not the building people occupy. It is the group of people that occupy the building. Because church, worship, goes far beyond the confines of those four walls into the communities, into our schools, Mm -hmm. into our state capitals, into our hospitals, into our coffee shops and our gyms, right? And that is where you truly live out your faith. 
the kingdom here is among us now. There you go. And often people say, well, well, tell me about the kingdom. What is the kingdom? And you're describing the kingdom. Mm -hmm. The kingdom is when we are present and accepting and there fully open to the presence of God in each and every one of us. Because for me, God resides within. Exactly. And so who I am and how I live in the world and how I interact and engage with other individuals, I'm experiencing the kingdom Mm -hmm. when I am welcoming and open. And that is the God in which I have a relationship. Yeah. Not a God. No, I'm I'm sorry. Go Go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say, and you get to play. See, when, when we... When we embrace others, mm-hmm. when we at least temporarily yeah. make a decision, I know I've got to go do this, and I was concerned about getting to this, but I'm going to stop, and I'm going mm-hmm. to do this with and for this person. Right. And I'm going to enter, talk to him, and we're going right. to – you get to participate mm-hmm. in the kingdom. I mean, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And we're evolving, not too blessed fast, mm-hmm. but – we are evolving because you represent a new evolutionary moment in yes. time and right. in society. Right. And uh, so many people think living in the kingdom is something they have to do. Mm-hmm. No, it's something they get to do. Right. Yeah. Right. And if we're all created in the image of God, and David's talking about we are evolving, and oftentimes I will kind of argue and dispute that feeling very frustrated. But um, if we are all created in the image of God, of which Genesis 2 does specifically say that, Mm -hmm. male and female, we are created in God's image, then my other issue is that I think people need to really begin to think and Mm -hmm. take seriously that God cannot be continued to be addressed in a gender-specific language. Exactly. So we, as long as we call God Father... Yes. uh, Come on, somebody. (laughs) Well, it isolates every single female who are life givers, by the Mm -hmm. way. So no one would be here at all if it wasn't for the female bringing that life forth. And, of course, we have to have the male to help make all of that happen. But she is a major contributor. And so Mm -hmm. God cannot be gender specific. And the language that we use is so important. What if Terrence were a girl Mm -hmm. and Terrence was not only a girl, but she was lesbian? And yeah. the difficulties that she would have, not only would she be feeling isolated as being lesbian, but, but that the fact that she's female, yeah. and so she's not created in the image of God because God is Father. Right. And how disturbing mm-hmm. that is. And distorted. And distorted. Yes. I, okay. Can we return to Black History Month? For oh, minute? sorry about that. <laughs> because well, this is all about justice, and Black History yeah, Month right. uh, is so p- pivotal in the issues of justice. Oh, yes, it is. Mm-hmm. And... What I, looking into black history from the outside, I wish I could look at it from the inside, Mm -hmm. but what were the sparks in you? Where did you, Mm -hmm. I understand the work you did around all that you've just described about what you went through and the decisions you made at 15. You had some good stuff working in you from the beginning. (laughs) I'll tell you this. When I was 12, I came out to my mom. Um, my mom shared with my siblings and I that she was HIV positive. Oh, my goodness. 
And I'm so grateful that I had a mom who had gay friends and was aware that this was an increasing issue when it came to black and brown young boys. Not just gay men, period, because everyone of every race was affected by it, but it was primarily affecting black and brown people at this point in time in the yeah. early 2000s. Yes. Um, so she started to take me with, with her to her support groups. And she helped me to find a community of people that could work with me through the questions I had in regards to my sexuality and and am I a value, right? And, and, and how do I fit into society and how I could find my voice? So I started to be a part of My Brother's Keepers outreach mm-hmm. initiative they had for young teenage black gay boys. Um, yeah. Talked about sexual health education, um, you know, start to advocate it for it on a national level. So that's how I started to get involved in community outreach and engagement. It transformed in so many ways as I got older and I was, I learned more about other people's issues like women's reproductive rights issues or immigrant issues because I had a lot of friends in our neighborhoods, which wasn't the best neighborhood here in Jackson, where there was a lot of immigrants there and they were fearful of, you know, life every day just being who they are, which being a black person, I could relate, right? Right. Um, So it it kind of transformed in so many ways as I got older. And um, I got to college and I started to do this on a national level. And, you know, it just, it just carried itself i i don't even feel like i chose this path in life i feel like this path in life has chosen me Mm. um because i'm but a vessel and like i said before with my experiences i'm like why are all of these bad horrible things happening to me Mm. which i came to realize they're not just they're not happening to me they're just happening Right? Yes. And I just have the unique opportunity of experiencing it and using it as a tool to help other people and guide other people that are experiencing and dealing with those same issues. Um, so I just let, I let the work use me in every whatever kind of way. And even though I have my good days and my bad days, I try to always allow myself to be vulnerable try to always be present, right? And I try to always find a level of connectivity with people that I would not have otherwise. And I think that's what helps me stay grounded in who I am as a person and spiritually, but also respect where other people are on their journey. And by sharing our story and being present with one another, that's that's what forms the human engagement and connection piece of it. Daniel, you know, I had no idea when we began this podcast um, how just touched I would be. Uh, you know, Daniel, we we met at the fitness center right? and we coming <laughs> and going, and it was actually our son yeah. who's in graduate school in uh-huh. Carbondale, Illinois, and uh, who made the connection with us. Uh-huh. And um, but I am just in awe of your 
gifts, your courage, your um, strengths, uh, your as, as I am. Well, yeah, I appreciate your it. ability to be a wonderful father and parent and role model well, for parents. <laughs> and um, I want to have you back because I feel like we just barely touched yes. on. Oh my goodness, there's this. so much more. I know there is. <laughs> I should write a book. <laughs> <laughs> well, take notes because you probably will do that. Um, but Can I, do I just take a point of privilege here? Of course. Uh, you and your nephew, who is now your son. He is now my son, yes. I have the same experience. Yes, the same right. Uh huh. Oh, and that's right. I with love Ryan. It. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I love that. And you know, even when we met at the gym, and we—I don't know how the conversation started, but it's like right when I met you, I was like, I love her, and I don't even know her. <laughs> like, I don't know why this happened or how. Our paths cross, but I knew it was for a purpose. I know. And at that point, similar to what you said, I had no idea the depths of connectivity we would have and how much our work and our passion and our purpose intersect, you know, and that's part of the story sharing and the connectivity part that I mentioned. It's like, it's, 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 for me, I feed off of that because it gives me the fuel I need. Like I said, there are days that are, it's still hard to get out of bed. Yeah. It's days I feel lazy and frustrated. It's days where I just like, I do not want to be around people. I just want to lay in bed, watch TV, and just sleep all day, right? But um, it's those types of connections that I value most. And it's those connections that I think will help to light the fire of inspiration in other people to get them involved and to help them realize that you don't have to heal where you hurt, but there is a variety of people and spaces in the world that will accept you and love you as, as you are. And the more we empower people to walk in their light, to accept their true authentic talents and what they bring to the world, then we would definitely leave it much better than we found it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that is where we'll, we'll bring this podcast to a close with those beautiful final words. Thank you. Thank you, Daniel. It was for, a pleasure being here. Well, we, we will have to do this again. Uh -huh. um, David, thank you also. Thanks, Thanks David. Also. Thanks for letting me be here. <laughs> <laughs> Faith and Reason 360 podcasts are free to all of our listeners. If you are interested in making a small donation or learn more about Faith and Reason, you can visit our website at www.faithandreason.org. www.faithandreason.org. This is a production of Faith and Reason 360, a program of the D.L. Dykes Jr. Foundation. God chose Israel, remembering mercy, according to the promise to those he made before, to Sarah, to Abraham, to Hagar, to their children's children evermore.